Hello, and welcome to the Pipeline Oil and Gas News Podcast with me, Julian Walker. I'm pleased to have Alex Booth, Head of Research at Kepler, joining me for today's podcast. We will go on to discuss the continued build-up in onshore crude inventories around the world. Plus, we will see what countries and regions are seeing a return in oil demand, while others are seeing a rapid decline. Thanks, Jack Alex, for joining. No, pleasure. Good to, uh, good to be here today. Thanks. Um, before we jump into our discussions today, could you just say a few words about yourself to give our listeners a bit about your background? Yes, certainly. So I joined Kepler just over a year and a half ago as head of research. Prior to that, I had been working with Citibank in fundamentals research on their oil desk in London. And prior to that, had worked for BP, again, looking at fundamental analytics um, on predominantly on the lightens trading desk in, uh, in Canary Wharf in London as well. Um, and so now it's just heading up the research team in Kepler, trying to work with the data that we have. Let's, uh, let's jump straight in. I mean, obviously on most people's word, let's look at sort of you know, OPEC supply and specifically, you know, the impact that the OPEC plus production cut um, that was announced in mid-April. I mean, all markets have had a pretty tough few months where sort of in March and April it sort of nearly virtually collapsed in some way or another. And I just wanted to get your views on this and then where you see see the impact that the OPEC cuts have had. Yeah, I think it's been an incredibly interesting period since April. I mean, when the COVID pandemic started, um, we could see in March that the, the fight between Russia and Saudi and their concerns about American US production as well um, really weren't going to play very well if they persisted in increasing their production and increasing their exports in April. Unsurprisingly, we, we've kind of got to where we are today. So we, we've seen an 11 million barrel a day decrease in the peak from a kind of a peak of OPEC plus production or exports, sorry, seaborne exports back in April, just over 35 million barrels a day on a two week average in April. Now we just cut down to just over 24 million barrels a day. So there has been, I think the market was surprised through May to the degree to which OPEC plus cut. Now the concern that we still have though is that was massively driven by the Saudis and we've seen that compliance from other countries this has been brought up in the most recent OPEC meeting OPEC plus meeting um, a lot of other countries have struggled to implement most cuts so Saudi uh, at a peak in April exported just over 9.6 million barrels a day now I think it's interesting to compare that to what happened in Q1 as well. So in Q1 the average was uh, just under 7.3 million barrels a day. So it was a huge increase um, into April. And I think it's worth bearing this in mind because what it it has an implication not just on the cuts that you see now, but the cuts that are needed to try and balance the market due to the COVID over kind of COVID situation. So in May they managed to get those exports down to just under 6.5 million barrels a day. So it's a cut of kind of 3.2, which again was significant. And actually, so far in June, we've seen those cuts down further. So another 450 KBD um, month-to-date exports. So all told, you've seen a cut from the peak of April, or so the the April exports, of nearly 3.7 million barrels a day. What has also been supportive there is that we've seen inventories, so onshore crude oil inventories in Saudi, decline as well. So that implies that they really are cutting their production and cutting their production significantly then not just putting any oil that oil kind of into storage in country. Could you also just go into a bit more detail about what the situation in the UAE is? It's also worth looking at UAE as well because that was a country that 
um, had increased its supply quite considerably into April. So in April, we saw them export just over 3.3 million barrels a day. And so far through June, they've managed to get that down to 2.2 million barrels a day. So again, some very significant cuts from UAE. But it, again, it's worth kind of reiterating that these were some of the countries that had increased the most into April. So they kind of had the most to do after that, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, the other thing that came out of that latest OPEC meeting was obviously the, the extension by one month um, of those production cuts to the end of July, whereas initially announced it was only April, uh, May and June, wasn't it? Yeah. I think that was, to a certain extent, that was inevitable. If they hadn't extended those cuts, I think the reaction from the market would have been quite severe. It's also worth remembering that Saudis have been cutting by an additional 1 million barrels a day. That is due to come to an end at the end of this month, end of June. And if the rest of the countries within the agreement don't come into line, then we're already seeing oil building onshore globally. We're We're not really seeing any change in floating storage. So if the Saudis reduce their cuts and the rest of the OPEC plus agreement haven't kind of caught up, then we could see a problem again. Actually, on that point as well, I mean, obviously, that's one thing I'd like to get into is the sort of, you know, the continued build up of this onshore crude inventories, because through the first half of the year, we've seen a huge amount of crude stored onshore, offshore. But um, undoubtedly, we really need those worked down before any return to normal if you can call that, of oil prices can really occur. Exactly. I mean, so the inventories, be it onshore or in floating storage, are going to put pressure on the market until we can see a kind of a, a decent tick up in demand and a, a decent reduction in production. Because so from the start of the year, we've built onshore inventories are built by 300 million barrels. We're, we're now just at 3.6 billion barrels that we're tracking in onshore inventories. And the reason why I kind of, why I'm concerned about what happens with the OPEC plus agreement through the course of the next month is that through May, we still built just over a million barrels a day in inventories. And June to date, we're still building just kind of 1.1 million barrels a day in inventories. So despite the work that's been done, the, the demand is still limited. Like the global refining demand is still very, very restricted. What about what's going on in the United States? We're already seeing slight kind of tentative gains in US production. There's talk of some uh, shell plays. Um, already kind of increasing their production again with this slight uptick in prices. Any further move there is going to is, is going to be met with with issues basically. What is the situation in China, um, Alex? And what have you seen in terms of Chinese exports? I mean, the the Chinese crude import story through uh, through kind of April and May has been. Uh, absolutely staggering. In May, we tracked just under 10.9 million barrels a day of crude imports. And so far through June, um, it can still change kind of through the course of the month, where we're tracking higher imports again, up to kind of 11.7 million barrels a day for the first half of the month. So the, the Chinese have had an amazing ability to absorb the excess crude in the market. Now, there are two elements there. Mm-hmm. One is it is going into storage. They drew some storage in April when their refinery runs really picked up uh, considerably. In May, they started building inventories again. So they're building inventories in May to the tune of about 500,000 barrels a day. In June so far, they're adding about 1.1 million barrels a day. So what you can kind of see is that whilst, yes, they're imports have shot up through June so far. It looks like the run rate is kind of tailing off a bit. So it's normalizing, but it is still very high. And we're also seeing that in some of the kind of the product flows as well. So they're also importing 
petrochemical feedstocks. So we've seen a big increase in, say, naphtha going into the country. Um, this is something that we're looking at in terms of LPG demand as well. So something that we're, we're kind of we're trying to grapple with at the moment is basically where is that end demand? Because whilst, yes, the economy has picked up in China, the fact that they export so much of their production to the rest of the world where things are really struggling is, is puzzling. That said, some of the statistics, I, th I think it's uh, anything between 60 to 80, 60% of the world's medical supplies, like PPE, is basically made in China. So um, if the, is that enough? Is that increased demand from the kind of PPE industry, as it were, sufficient to really provide a boost to the Chinese petrochemical sector? And at the moment, it's looking like where a lot of that support is coming from. In contrast to the rise in demand in China, What's your view on what's going on in Latin America, which seems to have had um, sharp declines in imports? Yeah, completely. I think you only have to look at the recent press around what's happening in Brazil, cases are rising, countries where there is less of an ability to cope with the pressures from COVID or no political will to cope with the, the kind of the pressures of the react to the pressures of COVID. We are seeing a very significant decline, um, for example, in clean product imports into uh, Latin America. If we look at, say, mentioned earlier, Brazil, Brazil imported about 500,000 barrels a day of clean products through the course of 2019. So far, or through May, they imported about 314,000 barrels a day. So they're running at about 60-odd percent of their import requirements. Mexico has dropped even further. So Mexico imported 740,000 barrels a day of clean mm. products last year. In May, they're down to 370. So they've had a 50% reduction in their um, import requirements. And the knock-on impact of this is actually kind of where, is, where does this oil normally come from? Where does this product normally come from? And ultimately, it's the US. So the US supplied 68% of product imports to Latin America last oh, year. Okay. And the exports from the US to Latin America through May were down 870 KVD. So they've lost a huge export market for their product. Now, US demand has been picking up. You look at the weekly statistics, the gasoline demand went from, I think, being down about 35% year on year. Now it's around the 20% year on year on a kind of on a moving average basis. So it's, it's ticking up, but it's still significantly weaker. And you have to set that against the reports that are coming out with some massive population centers, which are experiencing very rapid rises in COVID cases. Again, it's a very, in, in my mind, it's a tentative demand recovery. Interesting. Another hotbed uh, that comes to mind would be India. What do you think? Indian crude imports are the lowest they've been in six years. They were low in May and they're dropping further. I think it's interesting because the reported demand figures for May were actually showed a, a bit of an uptick. However, the daily infection rate in India is still increasing. They're around the 10,000 new cases a day. And that's been ticking higher. And yeah, they're, they're, if we just look at their crude imports, they have dropped precipitously in the last few months and don't look to be increasing quite yet. They may be picking up. So what we're seeing arriving in July is, is increasing. But for now, it's a very bad situation. 
I mean, I think we've just got to, you know, the whole world has been hit by COVID-19, oil in particular as an industry, but obviously lots of industries. And I think obviously as the world is you know, slowly recovering, oil has been, but I think behind all of it, as you said, is um, either newer countries which are really upticking or there's the underlying potential second wave, which exactly. obviously gets the jitters, doesn't it, in the markets, which I think would I assume hit the oil markets if it happened. Yeah, com- completely. The uh no one wants to go back into the same kind of lockdown measures as before. However, you look at what's happening in Beijing now, um, where there is very, very stringent lockdown. Is there an appetite to do that in the US as cases rise again? I think it's politically it's a lot harder. And so could you see a cut down to gasoline demand that we had, say, from a month or so ago? Probably not. But we're still down 20% year on year. That's a very significant number. And people talk about, oh, gasoline demand is increasing. It's increasing, but it's still down 20% year on year. I think it, we, we just can't forget that fact, basically. I mean, I think we certainly are in unprecedented times. But um, yeah. brilliant. Well, thanks a lot, Alex. Really interesting to get your views on the current state of the oil markets, but also all the facts and figures that you've seen coming in. Now, before we end up, I think it's always nice to end us on a more lighthearted note. And uh, yeah. A lot of us are all working from home in this current environment. Um, and I just wondered, what, what have you started doing more since you've been working from home? Yeah, I think, well, we're uh, incredibly lucky to have a garden here in London, uh, which is definitely not the case for a lot of people. So I think like most people with gardens, it's, uh, it will never look as good again as it has done this year. The, uh, the amount of time and attention uh, that has been paid on that uh, over the last few months has certainly been taking up all of our additional spare time. Super, so more gardening. Great. Well, yep. thanks a lot, Alex. Thanks everyone for listening to this Pipeline podcast with Kepler. I look forward to bringing more insightful conversations soon.